Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. As a leader, you know that you need to be strategic, that you should think ahead, that you have to set priorities, and that you recognize that the changes that are occurring and those that are about to strike your business before they hit you, that's what we expect of our leaders. But as the headlines will show in any given week, leaders are not that great of it. Great at this. We've seen lots of companies kind of running up against one obstacle after another, after another, after another. So my guest today believes that we're missing a key set of skills, something she calls a situational mindset. And we're going to talk about why we have this problem in the first place, what the mindsets are, and how to adapt your thinking. And if you've gotten the feedback that you need to be more strategic, then this show, I think, is for you. My guest today is Mary Lippett. Dr. Mary Lippett is an award-winning author and speaker, business consultant, and she's the founder of Enterprise Management Limited which is an international consulting and training organization. Over the past 30 plus years, Mary's thought leadership and her groundbreaking work on situational mindsets has enabled people around the world to successfully navigate change, avoid pitfalls, and deliver results. And her brand new book, Situational Mindsets, Targeting What Matters When It Matters, is based on this research. And her research continues with an assessment called the Situational Mindset Indicator. Mary also teaches at the University of South Florida's MBA program, and she's in Tampa Bay area. So Mary, and she raises orchids, too, of all things. Mary, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure, too. I think this whole topic, this the way we think about being strategic and what we think it means and what we think the leaders need to be doing is so critically important. And I'm not sure we're as up to speed as we need to be. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about this one. I I enjoy helping to define strategic because I think that word is one of the words that disconnects us uh, from doing more than we really should, more than we have been doing. So how do you define strategic? I define strategic as twice the time for orientation that you normally have. So for somebody in the executive levels, yes, you're talking years, but I'm going to argue that people in managerial and the front line also can be strategic if they just double their time frame. Instead of thinking about this week and next week, think about a month or six weeks out. So I think we all can be strategic and we all need to be strategic. I agree, I agree with that one. Because I don't think we can wait any longer for the executive suite or the CEO to have the answers on the strategic. We all need to react in real time. So this is tightly connected to me for this notion about chaos and the pace of change and all the uncertainty that goes with that. Why are we so bad at managing chaos and change? What are we missing? Well, I think that we are so caught up with the urgent that we aren't looking at what's important and critical. I think we're so rewarded for acting fast that we assume that if we delay and think about something, that we are going to miss an opportunity. So I think we're out there grabbing opportunities without really looking at the threats and the risks that we're going to encounter without having thought something through thoroughly. 
So many people that I talk to, though, will come back to that and say, yes, but I have so many demands on my time. I have deadlines. I have deliverables. I have bosses screaming down the phone at me. I don't feel like I have time to think. So what's your response to that? I would agree. I think that we're all under a horrendous amount of pressure. And I think that people do think that if they are more emphatic, (laughs) that we will act faster. So I think we get a lot of people speaking at us without recognizing, first of all, the, the other requests that we're trying to juggle. And I also think that if you ask somebody, do you want it done fast or you don't want it done right, um, then they'll actually start to realize that there's, when you're dealing with complex issues or ambiguous issues or precedent-setting issues, getting it right is much more important than getting it done fast. Um, you, you, the cost of trying to fix a bad decision is getting to be pretty high these days. So get, taking the time to get it right um, is, is something that, that people need to, to weigh into their formula for how fast we should act. That also means I have to get comfortable in pushing back a bit and saying no, something I'm finding a lot of people don't do pretty well. Okay, so now I want to talk to this notion about the jumping to action as opposed to thinking first. A century ago, we were all talking about the strength of character as the leader and the ability to sit back and reflect and think on your own before you would go out and speak and act. So what is it that's driving this jumping to action? You said missing opportunities. Is it more than that? Well, I think the reality is that change has increased so quickly that the old century-ago process was able to to be relaxed because things were stable. I mean, right now we have the economic changes, we have technology changes, we have regulatory changes, we have all sorts of other things impacting us that didn't happen a century ago. And so I think what we're facing now is the pace of change that we really are feeling actually swamped by, and we're basically just trying to cross something off our to-do list without actually thinking it through. That strikes me, though, that part of it is we have to be clear about what the priorities are. You know, what's the decision that I have to get right, as opposed to the other 10 decisions that have to get made just because they have to get made? I think that's true, uh, and I also think that we have to recognize that the organizations have created systems that actually don't encourage people to spend time thinking. Most of our reward systems are, did you do this? And they, they don't really put a lot of emphasis on, did you think it through well and did you make a wise decision? So I think that we do have these new pressures that, that make sitting back and thinking much more challenging. Okay. All right. So you call all of this situational mindsets. Why that language? Well, a mindset is something we can change. Um, And I think that that term has been used mostly internally. So we think about our mindsets in terms of, you know, can I do this job, uh, kinds of conclusions. But what we haven't done is spend a lot of time looking outside of ourselves. Most of leadership has been internally focused. They've been looking at my internal style of communication. They look at my competency set. They look really at my some of my traits. Um, but all of that is inside me. And what I'm trying to do is keep 
the focus on the present with a mindset, but change the focal point to outside of me. I want people to start looking at the environment they're facing, both internally within the organization and externally. So I'm asking people to, to make an assessment by collecting information of their current circumstances, their current realities, um, and therefore make that priority choice. As you were suggesting, we can't do all things at the same time. We have to make those choices. But only after uh, we've done a full analysis of the situation, um, because otherwise I think we just tend to, to rely on what we've always done before, what the past practice has been. And uh, as your show talks about, we need to get out of our comfort zone and deal with the realities that we're facing today. Yeah, yeah. I think that what's been missing, I agree with you, and I'm guilty of this one as well. I think there's value in it too, is that so much of the time when we do leadership development, we are looking at the inside. We are looking at the competencies and the skills and the internal mindset and frameworks and biases and traits and communication patterns and so on. And those are important for bringing an organization with you. But there hasn't been a systematic way to explore the outside, the environment, the company culture, the external drivers, the customers in a systematic way that says, well, let me think about that one and come through that one. So that's your intention with your situational mindsets. Yes, it is. I'm trying to present six different situational buckets or lenses or frames um, where people are, have to at least consider and ask the questions uh, to make sure that they aren't going to overlook something that can cause, you know, a major blunder. And, and if I could for just one second, you know, the, the people at Boeing are very talented people um, and they did a, designed a plane and they made a decision to sell a plane and make a safety a software an additional cost. And I'm thinking, you know, that was probably made with a decision about trying to keep the cost down. Like, again, this is my, my opinion, not, not no firsthand information. Um, but what, what they didn't recognize was what would, would be the cost to the company if that safety system was not um, the original purchase of the plane. So I think we tend to overlook things, and I think that's where our blunders come from. So I want people to collect data or information from six different areas before they jump into a decision that is precedent-setting or complex or has some uh, ramifications that have not been fully understood. Okay. All right. So perfect timing. Tell me about these six situational mindsets. What are they and what does each mean? And, you know, an example along the way would also be great, too. Okay. Um, The first one is, the term is inventing, and it's taking a look at developing new products and services, uh, making sure that you're using technology well. So we have companies such as Apple um, that make sure that they come out with uh, something new, whether it's an Apple Watch or was an iPad or whatever else. And, and this is trying to keep making sure that you're a state of the art or close to the state of the art in your industry. The second um, is catalyzing, which is taking a look at the customer. Um, making sure that, that you're uh, retaining those customers, you're servicing them well, you're, you're making sure that, that they will be um, the kind of customer that would refu- refer you uh, to their colleagues, 
Um, this is where we manage our brand. And, and this is an example, really, where most organizations are spending a lot of their time in terms of their customer retention and uh, customer service has become so very important that it's being monitored. Their organizations are pulling people after you buy something. Did you really like it? Uh, because they want that customer feedback. Okay. The third uh, situational mindset is taking a look in the organization, how the organization is structured. Uh, are we going to be matrix? Are we going to be functional? Are we going to be organizational? Um, what are the reward policies that we're going to be using? Uh, what kind of systems are we going to have in place? And so this is the stage where we try to become a seamless organization, where we don't have silos, where one unit's uh, uh, trying to accomplish something uh, that is not necessarily for the entire, going to meet the entire organization's strategy. And, and we have organizations who are noted for, for being, you know, extremely uh, well run. Um, and, you know, you could think about a Zappos that has a, a, a lot of uh, recognition for some very intriguing ways of co-locating people. A lot of organizations uh, are not going to be doing that. So that's the third one. The fourth one is taking a look at the organization, but instead of at the macro structural issues, what it's taking a look at is the organizational workflow. It's going to take a look at process improvement. It's going to take a look at efficiencies. It's going to take a look at return on investment and all the kinds of standard operating procedures that can be put in place that can help an organization uh, really be uh, one that delivers on the return on investment. And an organization that comes to mind uh, for this um, mindset is Walmart. Um, they are they know how to be highly efficient, and and again, kudos to them for that. Um, but if you focus on one for too long, uh, there can be some other ramifications. And the next mindset is called protecting, and this is making sure that you keep the culture that's high performing, that you retain your employees, that you develop them so that their competencies stay up to date. Um, this is one where you talk. Talk about engagement um, and make sure that the teaming effort is is there. And, and a lot of the uh, military services are, are paying a great deal of attention to this sense of, do we know our mission? Do we know how to achieve our mission? Do we have the, the skills to do that? And you know, then they have this sense of camaraderie and support for one another that makes it so essential to, to being able to achieve the mission. And the final uh, mindset is called challenging. And in this mindset, what we're looking at is we're taking a look at the emerging trends. Um, what are the new um, opportunities they're servicing? Is there a new niche that we could be servicing? Um, do we need to change our business model? Um, bookstores, I think, we're surprised that people would buy books online. Um, Disney, which was known for um, uh, both movies and, and entertainment centers in Disneyland, now opened a new avenue with Disney uh, TV. So this is the point of staying relevant. Um, this is the point of making sure that not only we are doing well now, but we, we are going to do well in the future too. 
Okay. And so okay. those six have to be balanced. Okay. And what do you mean by balanced? How does that work? Well, I think we need to collect the information from all six and determine which of these are most critical at this point in time. And again, if, if something is uh, terribly pressing, we're going to have to make sure that that's the critical issue that we're going to be taking care of. Um, you know, I, I, I've worked with many organizations, and every organization says we have a communication problem. Well, the question is, is there no, no organization is going to have perfect communication. The question is, is that critical at this point in time? And if we're having uh, a lack of communication and we're going to be doing a rocket launch shoot soon, maybe that is critical. But if we're not in that situation where communication is critical, we're going to have to say, okay, we're going to pay attention to it and still monitor it, but that is not the most critical issue that we're going to pay attention to at this, at this juncture. So we have to make that choice of, and balance the six and say, okay, what is the most pressing issue for us right now? Yeah. It strikes me, too, as you talk about these, Mary, that um, when we say things like we have a communications problem, one of my pet peeves is that could mean everything, and therefore it means nothing. But if you say there's a communication problem and you're looking with your six mindsets, you can actually ask, is it an inventing problem or a catalyzing communications problem and so on? It gives you a language to kind of dig into the generic title of communication and understand where the nature of the problem really lies. Exactly. And I think it has another advantage, too, because when you dig into the mindset, you're digging into facts. Sometimes with communication problems, it can become finger-pointing. And that subjective kind of, of discussion is not anywhere near as productive as an objective analysis of what are the facts. Do we need something about products? Do we need something about our workflow? Do we need something about our customers? Do we have high turnover? Those are very objective aspects, and we can have that conversation, and we can find agreement or alignment where we all can work together. And so I think that these general statements, like we need better teamwork or we need better communication, um, really are sometimes false indicators. We need to be more specific, but we also need to make sure we stay objective. Okay. That makes a lot of sense that there is, and I get this notion of the six, the six things that you need to look at, the six things that you need to analyze, collect data on, try to stay objective about, and not default to something that's ambiguous, hard to pin down. We don't know quite where meaning, and that makes setup for finger pointing. It also strikes me in these six mindsets that there's a lot packed into each of the six. So if I just take your last Agreed. one, this notion of challenging sort of the emerging trends and new opportunities and new niches and staying relevant, you know, understanding what those trends are, knowing which product or service I want to apply it to. Um, like if I take digital, for example, everybody would say that that's a new trend, but that's also applied to absolutely everything. So it's even hard to know where to begin. So what's your advice on how to think about each of these specific in a more specific way? Well, I, I think that we need to, to make a distinction about, you know, what is it that our product's going to be and whether it's going to be a, a digital product that is state-of-the-art or not, or are we going to be a low-cost provider? So the choices have to be made. So are my, are my 
customers in the catalyzing mindset going to be local? Are they going to be national or international? Because, um, again, that makes it that, that changes how I would need to set up my digital framework. Um, so I think that when we talk about digital, we, we can look at what the options are, but then we have to compare them again. What are our competencies as our organization? What, what are we set up well to do? And it may be that we could do something in an arena that we're not particularly well suited for if we have a good alliance partnerships with someone. So it isn't just acknowledging what the new trend might be, but it's sitting back and saying, how well can we meet that trend? If not, are there alternatives with alliances or partnerships where we can do this effectively? But I also, again, test to make sure that whatever we're reading as an emerging trend is going to be a lasting emerging trend because <laughs> some of our trends come and go pretty quickly. Um, remember, I remember 8-track and I remember you know floppy disks. So I think we need to make sure that we don't grab onto something that is a fad and assume that it will be lasting. So we have to do some very careful due diligence there. Right. Well, and sometimes easier said than done. It's hard to know what's going to stick and what's not going to stick, almost sometimes until after the fact. So do you have specific sub-questions under each of these mindsets that you encourage people to ask to make sure they've thoroughly walked through the dimensions that matter? Oh, yes, we do. And and I think the reason I, I would say is that because of change, uh, we no longer can have all the answers. Uh, it's become too complicated. So I think that one of our, my roles anyway, is to help people recognize the power of questions. So we have a list we call the situational checklist of questions under each of the six areas to make sure that those pieces of information have been collected uh, and when that's been collected, then we could feel that we can do our analysis and weigh the information to determine what is the most pressing priority at this point in time. What is it that matters most to us now? Okay. You know, I, I have to just, you, you mentioned the, the concept of we can't always, you know, anticipate what could go wrong. But mm-hmm. I will give the example of e-cigarettes in the United States anyway. Uh, when they came on board, they were so um, interested in all the um, benefits that they didn't take a really good look at the potential downsides. And I actually was working with an e-cig company, and I said, well, what about regulations? And they said, oh, there's no regulations about e-cigs. I said, well, do you think there are going to be regulations? Oh, no, there are not going to be any regulations. And what we're seeing now is, of course, all those regulations coming into play. So, you know, again, we have to think things through more carefully and not, not you know, jettison a potential without fully uh, analyzing uh, whether that is a true risk or not. Okay. All right, so let me go back through these six mindsets just to kind of make sure our brains are all in the same place. We have inventing, which is about making sure that we are state of art in our industry, new to products, new services, and we're using technology well. So that's one. Two is catalyzing. This is all around the customer and the brand and keeping customers and making customers sure they're content, satisfied, 
um, delighted with their services and products and are referring us. And there's so much work that's been done on that one. I agree with you in terms of the brand identity and uh, everything that's in the customer space on that one. The third one has to do with the macro organizational structure. How are we going to be structured functionally, matrix reward policy systems? How do we create an organization to make sure that it's seamless and is operating in a maximum efficiency? There's the organizational workflow, which is all the process improvement, the efficiencies, the return on investments, the stuff that we've seen in many, I mean, there have been many of these that have come through time and time again. There's protection, which is number five, which is around make sure we're protecting our culture, our employees for retention and development, the engagement, the team, the mission, and the camaraderie, all sorts of pieces in that one. And the last one is challenging, recognizing the emerging trends, that we're seeing the new opportunities and the new niches, and we're staying relevant. Okay, so Mary, pick your favorite one of those, and give me a sense of the kind of questions we should be asking in that category that really get us to see ahead not just staying with our existing mindset. Well, um, let's ta- let's take uh, the performing. So we could be asking questions of: Are our vendors uh, providing us with high quality products? Well, what what our vendors are on time? Um, are we? Is the workflow arranged well? Um, is the if it's a manufacturing facility, is our layout e- efficient as possible? How could we improve the quality of the product? Uh, how are we meeting our scheduled deliveries? We what is our uh, how are we on our budget? Uh, in what ways can we control costs? Those are the kinds of questions um, that would fall under uh, the performing. Uh, mindset. And again, it, it's looking at opportunities to make improvement um, in all six areas, and it, it's looking at the present and looking forward, but with some recognition of what we've done in the past, because it's, well, some of the things we're doing, we're doing extremely well, but we just can't keep doing everything that we're doing now and expect different results. And every organization really wants to improve their results. So the questions uh basically bring up areas for examination to see what what we could be doing differently. And I know that people say this is going to take time, but I will just remind people that a brainstorming exercise is usually five to ten minutes. It isn't necessarily a horrible time consumer to be asking these questions of each other. And if we can answer them, fine. If they're taken care of, fine. Move on to the next. But I think that sometimes we truly overlook some very critical aspects. I mean, and some of the examples of, of wonderful companies making mistakes that cost them um, just continue to mount. Uh, when I think of Tide, I think of you know, Procter & Gamble, a wonderful, wonderful com- company. But when they launched Tide Pods, they forgot about child safety. So, I mean, I think that there's a real, you know, people look at the time it took to think of these questions and answer them, but they don't think about the time it takes to fix the problems that they could have avoided at the start. Right, and to recover the reputation when you've totally messed that up because a lot of companies are facing that one at the moment, a lot. Boeing, as you raised earlier, 
Um, Volkswagen is another name that would come to mind. There's a whole bunch of them in this list. So we're going to take a break just in a couple minutes. But before we go on break, Mary, do you have a process you recommend? Like who should be involved in the answering these questions? How much time should we be spending on trying to answer these questions? How frequently we should we be doing that? Do you have recommendations? Well, I would like just to suggest that when we're up against a complex issue, we take the time to do this. But I also think we have to create the environment where people feel comfortable asking questions because sometimes there's the impression that if I ask a question, it might mean that I don't know the answers, which might reflect negatively on me. But one of the things I really would recommend to a manager is to start a staff meeting by asking the question, what have we learned since our last meeting? And that starts to give a whole tone that I want people to be learning. And I'm asking questions, so I expect questions of you. So I do think there is a way that any manager at any level can create an environment within his or her team that they really want questions and they want to study things and get things right the first time. Okay. Well, and that notion of asking what have you learned is certainly an opportunity for reflection. And that is back to stopping to think as opposed to just jump to action, as you said at the very beginning. Okay, Mary, let's take a break. Um, My guest today is Dr. Mary Lippitt. The book that we have been talking about is Situational Mindsets, Targeting What Matters When It Matters. And you can find out more from Mary's website, which is enterprisemgt.com. Or you can reach her at mary at situationalmindsets.com. So I think this is interesting in that we take these six different mindsets that we need to be exploring. Um, the I don't think I'll repeat them again. The inventing, the catalyzing, the organizational structure, the performing, the protection, and the challenging. And then we systematically work through a list of questions to make sure that we haven't missed anything obvious in that and that we encourage reflection and debate and challenge. And when we come back, I want to attend to this discussion and talk about a little bit about what's different here. And we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc. Helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. My guest today is Mary Lippitt, and the book we've been talking about is Situational Mindsets, Targeting What Matters When It Matters. And Mary's notion is that we're spending too much time jumping to action and not enough time pulling back, setting, and thinking and getting the right answers rather than just getting an answer and moving forward, just doing and delivering. And now, Mary, you have a particular notion about anybody can do this at any particular time. Um, Explain a little bit more about what you mean by that. Well, I think that a lot of what we're been facing is the question where people say, I want you to think critically or I want you to think strategically and it's sort of like people pass a magic wand and you have to do it. What I'm suggesting is with a checklist of questions, you can ask the questions and so it isn't requiring somebody to memorize something. It isn't requiring them to, you know, learn a, 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 a totally new skill set. It's you got a piece of paper in front of you and you can learn to ask the questions. So in the book, I propose a checklist, um, but what I ask people to do in their team is to take a look at that checklist and then tailor it for them. So if I refer to customer and you're in the hospital industry, please change it to patient. So one of the great team-building activities can be taking that checklist and tailoring it, and then everyone shares it, and then everyone knows that those are the questions that we should be asking. And so it's something that binds the team together. It creates a comfort level uh, with the ability to ask a question, which, again, doesn't reflect on me. And, by the way, it won't reflect on my leader, assuming my leader hadn't thought of something and I'm showing him or her up. So it's creating a very objective platform for a team to work together to make sure that they thoroughly analyze something that is complex, ambiguous, new, precedent-setting, or risky uh, before they jump into action. You know, it's, it's asking people to make sure they've got the right aim and before they, they actually fire. Okay, so now this one gives me a different framework on this one, is this notion that as a leader of a team, I like your idea of pulling out this checklist, making sure we put it in our language and, and tailor it for our circumstances, and then that everybody has a copy of it, and that these are the kind of questions we should all be asking every time we're trying to do something that's complex, new, or risky. And encouraging one of those questions over time with, um, you know, in a, like in each team meeting or something or in each week or in each month. 
Um, and I can imagine this is part of an offsite activity. From a development point of view, though, how, what a wonderful way to teach the people that are working for you what it means to think strategically. Here's the set of questions. How many of these have you asked in the last three months? Sounds to me like a great development activity. I think it is. I, I really do. And I, I think what I, when I work with people who are coaching others, what I find is sometimes they, they are very generous, first of all, to, to be coaching, um, but they sometimes only address a couple of the different mindsets because those are the ones that are pressing on them right now. And I think the other advantage of having the checklist is to make sure that a mentor or coach does cover all six areas and, and does not just deal with what is um, the current um, tactic that the organization is using. So I, I think it, it is a wonderful development tool. And again, if you hand me something and you say, these are the kinds of questions we need to ask ourselves, you know, I could do that. Or if I'm a team leader, I could say, okay, I want person A, I want you to investigate the inventing questions. Person B, I want you to investigate the catalyzing questions. Person C, do the developing questions. Person so, I mean, we could do one meeting, you know, one mindset at a time, or we could actually divide it up and find out what we all know, get back together, share that information, where people then will be able to have a discussion and agree what we need to do next. And that alignment uh, builds commitment and, you know, obviously respect for each other, which means, you know, goals get achieved. Right. I'm, I have a whole new lease on how to teach people how to be think strategically. I think this is just so exciting because here's an easy way forward on it that doesn't require the leader to come with the answers, but that gets everybody on the mm-hmm. team thinking about. And as you said at the very beginning, this is applicable to absolutely every level in the organization, frontline all the way up, which is awesome because we often don't think about it that way. And I think we overlook things in many change efforts because we come up with a wonderful idea, but we don't think through how it's going to be, you know, executed. I, I was with one organization where they came up with a new idea. They never wrote the scripts for the call center for the new product. That was omitted. That kind of mistake was costly. Um, and if they had the checklist, that would not have been an occurrence. Okay. All right. That's a very interesting. Or at least if we have the culture of the call center being able to go through the checklist, they would have flagged it before it was too late. So, Correct. Mary, this notion of a balanced scorecard has been around for a really long time. Is this just mm-hmm. another version of the balanced scorecard? It is. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Our first, <coughs> oh, excuse me, our first scorecard was financial. And then mm-hmm. we started to expand it, and it became customer. And mm-hmm. what we right, then expanded it to be, you know, uh, workflow. And so the, the balance cohort, some people have added learning on it. But if you look at process, financial, customer, and learning, you really only have three of the six mindsets. There's nothing in there about creativity or invention or patents made. There's nothing in there that encourages people to be strategic in their thinking. What are our best practices? How can we institutionalize them? There's nothing in there about our decision-making effectiveness, which is the developing that macro-organizational kind of arena. So I use the, the, the... for organizations that really want to make sure that they're measuring everything and staying in balance, there are actually six mindsets that can help them do that. 
And of course, they need to be lagging and leading indicators in each area. But what we aren't paying attention to can cost us. For example, in developing, if we have a slow decision-making process, sometimes, you know, uh, tardiness comes at a cost. So, you know, what is our administrative process? Do we have too many checks and balances? I, I know one organization, when they wanted to hire a night watchman, the CEO had to sign off. Well, by the time, you know, the rec got to the CEO, the person had found another job. So we need to take a look at the way we're operating our organizations. And that's not in almost any balance scorecard that I've seen proposed. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think the balance scorecard encourages us to get a number that says how well are we doing. Like you you think about the dials that we often used to see on people's dashboard of their balance scorecard. None of that encourages, that encourages action, not asking questions. What I like about your approach is it's encouraging the dialogue around the question, the openness to ask the question. I would agree. And of course, that openness basically shows respect for another person's point of view, which engages them, which builds their commitment, which builds their loyalty. I mean, I'm talking about very objective facts, but the ramifications on the organization are, are amazingly strong. So, you know, sometimes looking at the hard issues when we do it together and we show openness. And I can say I hadn't thought of that, and it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. That changes uh, the culture of the organization, and you know, having a, a work culture that's that's supportive is, is very important to to most employees. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing, of course, I like about it is this notion that you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to go away and think about the strategy and come back and announce it to everybody. It's um, a co-created, co-developed, and that's where you're going to get the greatest buy-in. All right. Yeah, and can I also add, if, if I feel I have to have the answer, what I will probably give is what has been tried and true before. And so I might take an example from a company that was successful and say, okay, well, I'm going to do it in my company. Well, something that can be done at Apple might not work at, at a hardware store. So I think that by having the pressure put on a person to have the correct answer means that they're going to rely on the past or something that's safe rather than getting out of the comfort zone. And so I think you get out of the comfort zone by actually feeling comfortable enough that I understand the zone I'm in and then having that confidence that we together can manage it. Yeah, we can manage it. That's great. Do you see any companies that get all six of these? They in all six areas, they're really thoroughly thinking through the implications of each of these. Do you have any examples of that one? Well, I think that they that in the hospital um, healthcare industry, I think for the first time they're beginning to. Um, I think that it was interesting that their mission was so important to them that they didn't consider things like cost. And so I think that's becoming more important. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there are many organizations that are best places to work. And I think that some of those, whether it be a Zappos or, or, or some of the accounting firms, have basically adopted a broader perspective of what it takes to have a talented workforce 
with a level of initiative and creativity as well as a commitment to being a professional ethical organization. So I would, I would say that many of the best places to work are pe- organizations that have adopted some type of better balance in their metrics and more thorough analysis and a commitment uh, to encouraging people to think. So if I walk by somebody's office and he or she isn't doing anything, I'm not going to say they're goofing off and they're not being productive. I'm going to say, ah, that person's really, you know, giving some thought to something and, that, and that's really what we're going to benefit from. So we have to make sure that our reward systems are also going to be supportive of people who think and ask questions. And I think that's beginning to happen. Yeah, I like this. One of the um, things that I've always been stunned by in looking at leaders is their inability to ask questions. It's an inability to ask really good questions around the strategic thinking. It's an inability to ask good questions around a development agenda. It's an inability to ask good questions around what somebody thinks that they need to be doing in the task that has been assigned to them. I mean, it seems like people either ask these wildly ambiguous, you know, what's your view that gets us nowhere, or they ask questions that are very pointed with a yes, no, and nowhere in between. And what it strikes me about your situational mindsets is it's improving the quality of the questions we ask, particularly around this external view of the world. I hope so. I mean, that's, that's certainly my goal. I mean, there's a wonderful story about a, a head of a company that was merging with it, was thinking of buying another company. And he, he went to his uh, staff meeting and all vice presidents were there and he says, you know, have we thought of everything? Is this, are we sure that this is a goal? Oh, yes, yes, yes. What are the risks? And there was silence. And he, he was smart enough to say, if we don't know the risks, we don't know everything. We're not doing this until we've studied it further. So, you know, the question would be, is the leader asking for the risks and respecting those who can identify them? Or if I'm in a meeting and my boss says, are there any risks? And I say, yeah, I see a problem here. Do I get labeled the, 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 the problem child, the maverick, the, the non-team player? So I think we really have to hone in and, and reinforce the importance of questions. But even if the question produces an answer that I don't like, um, it's still valuable information. And a person who asks questions needs to be rewarded. And there's, there's a, you know, a real need for people to, to feel that they're safe in asking questions. And I, I think in many organizations they don't. I just actually did a poll of why people don't think critically. And one of them was, it wasn't requested of me. And I'm a fear <laughs> of rejection. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the nice things about the process that you're outlining here on these sort of six things and the list of questions that goes with each of the six is it's like there's a time before we make a decision where we're really asking hard questions and thinking about it in a systematic and thorough manner. But that means that once we have made the decision to go, it's much more on implementation and not as much on critique. So I think that gives some comfort that we can take the time at the beginning and and be thoughtful and be critical um, without worrying about losing the process on implementation. Or would you disagree with me? 
No, I would agree, but I, I would also encourage that while we're implementing, we stay alert to any other changing realities. Um, so if I'm doing something, I'm real happy and things are progressing well, but uh, one of my key players has um, just come down with serious illness and will be out a month, I need to rethink things. I need to step back and say, does that, how does that impact our plans? So I, I do think that we need to spend the major initiative thinking up front, but I still think we have to keep our fingers on all six of these mindsets to make sure that nothing is changing that will impact our plan. Right. Okay, that makes sense to me. Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit, Mary, before we close for the day, which is I want to talk about differences in people and differences in style. And you have some fascinating results about the di- some differences between men and women. Uh, tell me a little bit about that work. Well, we have collected uh, information on, on about 6,000 people. And, and what we're finding out is that the – let's take a look at the executive level. Um, executive level women are focusing on inventing, while executive level men are focusing on performing. And what's really interesting is that both of those are looking at new ideas. The only difference is the inventing is looking more externally at technology and, you know, what the customers and competition is doing and, or what's coming out of universities. And, and the men were looking at, you know, how can we create greater efficiencies? And one of my concerns is that we sometimes aren't aware that there are certain patterns in our organizations at a point in time that might drive promotional decisions. So needing to read the environment and then making, if I'm up for a promotion, making sure that what I'm talking about aligns with the mindset that the organization has just adopted can go pretty far in making sure that I make, I'm a, a more viable candidate for that job. And I don't think that's always understood. I, I think that um, uh, we sometimes miss gauge uh, what somebody is is trying to achieve. And one of the interesting things about mindsets is that you could ask somebody, you know, what are your goals? What are the results you're most interested in achieving first? Uh, What are the uh, concerns that you have? Uh, And people will tell you very clearly what they're focusing on. And you can then have a, a conversation that could be an interview conversation where things are in alignment. And I think that this concept of, you know, asking a question is, that can get uh, a clear answer is, is so much different than the way we normally would do an interview by talking about what is your leadership philosophy kind of question, which, which basically reveals nothing. But one of the other things that we've found is that there's also some difference in priorities by the organizational sector. So what's interesting is in the private sector, uh, there's a lot more information focused on the catalyzing and the inventing, while in the nonprofit sector, what's really interesting is the protecting and the challenging. And again, I think what we're finding is that, that these organizations are learning that they have to do all six or there will be a price to pay. Um, if I'm in the nonprofit world and I, I'm achieving a mission, but I'm not paying attention to funding, um, I'm, I, I could be running into trouble. So this concept of having to stay alert to six, I think, is spreading. 
Um, but we, I think we need to do a better job of actually conveying what the six are and helping people recognize them so they can have the objective discussions and, and find the best way forward. I like this because it says that whatever sector I'm in, there is a prevalent mindset in that sector. And that this is a chance for it to pull back and say, what mindsets are we not asking in this sector? And therefore, how can we think about it in a different way? I think that's one really big insight. I think the second insight, though, that you said in terms of the male-female differences, that women are focused on the um, inventing and men are focusing on the performing, the internal efficiencies. That tells me how then to position myself in a better way in the organization. So let's say as a woman executive, I am focused on inventing, and I recognize that other people around me are focused on other things. I just need to position myself as saying why I'm doing the inventing and where I sit on the other five mindsets. I'd give a much better picture of what I'm trying to accomplish and why I'm trying to accomplish it. Correct. Absolutely correct. And, and I think that you could also say if everyone in the organizations is performing, um, again, kudos to them. Appreciate their insights. Um, I'm just a little concerned that we may be being, uh, you know, polishing our services so well uh, that we may be missing some new opportunities. Uh, should we also be thinking of some new opportunities? And so you can bring other people around to realize that they make their thoughts have become potentially too narrow. And, and there's a quote from a humorist that, you know, talking about being on a railroad track says, you know, even if you're on the right track, if you, if you stay there, you're going to get run over. And, and so there's this need to challenge a prevailing mindset to make sure that it still is uh, the appropriate prevailing mindset. Great. That makes a ton of sense to me. Okay, so Mary, I want to repeat what these six mindsets are just to make sure that I've made it clear for everybody in the process. So keep me straight if I miss one. There's the inventing, which is where the new products and services, are we using technology, are we staying state-of-the-art in industry? And there's a whole series of questions to get your organization or your team focused on asking the right questions about inventing. And then there's catalyzing, which is all around the customer, retaining the customers, serving the customers, the brand, um, and making sure we focus on what customers are genuinely looking for and wanting for from us, and a series of questions to ask on that. And then there's Mm -hmm. a series of questions on the macro organizational structure, which is basically how are we structured, our reward policies, our systems, our matrix, um, our functional roles, our global, local, you know, even communication systems, I think, fit in that one as well. And again, asking the questions that we're structured in the right way to achieve what we're looking for. And then there's the performing one, which is really looking at the workflow, the process improvements, the efficiencies, the return on investment, all of those things that we know help us become a better organization and questions to ask there. And then there's the protecting, which is around the culture and in the employees, which gets at engagement and mission and values and some around camaraderie and team performance and development and so on. And then there's the last one, which is challenging, looking at emerging trends. What's new? What have we not considered? How is the industry changing? And again, a series of questions to go with those so that we're all holding each other accountable for making sure that we've not missed something in the process. You did a great job of the summary. Thank you. 
Fabulous. All right, so Mary, you have one minute. Any last piece of advice for a leader? And again, this can be anywhere in the organization, at the front line, at mid-levels, or all the way at the executive levels that can encourage their teams to look at these sets of questions. Any last piece of advice? Well, I think that if someone is just starting with the process of asking questions, you could start with something as basic as, what should we start doing that we're not doing now? What should we stop doing that we are doing now? What should we do more of? What should we be doing less of? Because I think that sometimes people need to be um, coached a little into the questioning process. And I think those are the questions that a team already has considered. And then when you start thinking, what should we start doing, I think, and have that discussion, I think we can take a look at all six mindsets as a way to try to trigger ideas about what is it we can start doing. Okay. That's a great example. All right. My guest today, thank you, Mary. What a fabulous interview. Mary Lippitt. Mary, the book is Situational Mindsets, Targeting What Matters When It Matters. And this is based on her research over years, working with leaders around the world to help them navigate change, avoid pitfalls, and deliver results. And you can follow Mary from her website at enterprisemgt.com or contact her at mary at situationalmindsets.com. And I believe the book also lists all these questions that make it easy for someone to tap into them and start using them. Yes, they did. All right. Fabulous. Mary, thank you very much for being a guest. And Oh, thank you join- so much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. And join us next for more wisdom on getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.